0: People take on the wrong type of debt, they take on too much of it, and they take it on at the wrong stage of life. And so what I'm trying to do is, throughout life, is have different levels of debt, the right debt at the right time.
1: That's Tom Anderson, author of The Value of Debt in Building Wealth. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, Tom talks about using debt to build wealth, just how much debt you should have through the four phases of life, and how that relates to the Da Vinci Code. Also, Joe and Big Al do the math to figure out how much money you need to save each month in order to have a million dollars when you retire. And they cover six common myths that can mess up your retirement. They'll also answer your email questions, like how will a large withdrawal from your IRA affect your taxes, Medicare, and Social Security? And does the pro rata rule include 401k balances? And for that matter, what is the pro rata rule? And what the heck is aggregation? Now, here are Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA, with some answers. Hey, Alan. There's a number people have in mind when it comes to reaching financial
2: freedom. What number do you think that is? Well, you're talking about the magic number. I think most people would say a million dollars. A million bucks? Yeah. All right. I would agree with that. So, how do you get to a million? How do you get to a million? Well, so, i got some numbers for you here. Okay, good. Yeah, let's hear about it. So, I think a lot of times it's like, well, how much money do I need to save to have a million? Sure. All right. So it depends on, of so, course, so, the so longer you have.
3: If you have if you have one year, you need to save about a million.
2: <laughs> you to get need to, to a save about $999,000. Right. Hertz. Right. Uh, but it, let's say if you have 30 years, or maybe it's five years, or somewhere in between. Okay. All right? All right. So we'll start out, and then depends, of course, on the average expected rate of return. Of course. What, what are you using? These are all hypotheticals. Let me just have a caveat here of hypothetical. <laughs> okay. This results may not happen happen. to you, right? And um, so, this is just a a possible rate of return. That's this is just a couple of kids having a conversation about. I wonder what it would take to build a million dollars. Okay, all right. So let's say you have thirty years. Okay, so you're thirty-five years old. Okay, sixty-five. Right. That's yeah. 30, yeah, start saving thirty-five. Retire at sixty-five. Okay. okay. So if you got third, so if you're thirty-five or younger, right? Right. right you got thirty years. Uh, if you could get a twelve percent rate of return, average rate of return, twelve percent, twelve percent. That's a lot. Uh, two hundred eighty-three bucks a month. That's it. Okay. That's not bad. That's not too bad. Yeah. Thirty-five, two hundred eighty-three bucks a month. If you could get a twelve percent rate of return, the yeah. likelihood of getting an expected rate of return of twelve percent over thirty years—that's ah, that's tough. There could there's there's a it's definitely possible. It's possible, and there are certain
3: asset classes that do tend to do well over the long term. But the problem is they're volatile, and you never know what period of time. So you got to be
2: 100% fully invested mm-hmm. in the equity markets, mm-hmm. Maybe an asset class that has higher expected returns than maybe large company stocks, such as like an emerging market.
3: Yeah, like smaller companies, value companies, emerging markets. So you're probably all in to those. Right, very volatile. And and you asset might classes. you might have have five years of down time, and you might just abandon it, because this doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Right?
2: So, 283 bucks a month. But, uh, yeah, and then you know what's going to happen to you. You're gonna hit that 29th year. Right. That <laughs> you're still all in those asset classes. And then it's gonna drop fifty percent. Right, right. That last
3: year you I just had one more it.
2: year. If only I'd save two hundred eighty five dollars <laughs> a month. Well oh, it doesn't matter what you because now you're almost a million, now worth five hundred grand. Right. All right. So what, what what would you say is a better rate of return that we can use for someone with thirty years? Six percent, would you say? Yeah, I'd say even seven. Six or seven percent. All right. I'll give you both. Six percent, okay. nine hundred ninety one bucks. Okay, so about 1,000. 1,000 bucks a month. Okay. If you save that for 30 years at 6%, okay. A million bucks. Okay. Hypothetically. Sure. Uh, 7% is 800, 815.
3: 815. Okay, so somewhere between 800 and 1,000 bucks a month at age 35, given a 6 or 7% rate of return is what you need to save each and every month, and you have to stay fully invested at all times. Correct.
2: So that's 30 years. Right. So anywhere from 283
3: bucks to $1,000. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you, <better not laughs> well, you, you get the 12%, sure.
2: Okay. Um, all right. Let's say you have 15 years. Okay. okay. So you got 15 years. So, if, so you might think it'd be double, but it's a lot more than double. It's uh, $2,000 a month, uh, 1982 uh, for 15 years, if you save 1,982 bucks per month for yeah. 15 years, 12 percent. You have to get your 12 percent. Yep. Yeah. Now you're at a million. Right. If you got six percent, you need to save 3421 a month. 3,421 dollars. That could be tough. 15 years. So what are you? 50. Yeah, 50 to 65. Key earnings years. Well, true. So you're, you're saving,
3: and hopefully the kids. Hopefully they're out. They're. Into college, maybe out of college, you got more
2: disposable income. So you're saving about forty grand a year. Yeah, that'd, that'd be a lot for. Yeah, for the average yeah. Joe. So that's why this million dollars, I guess, is a it's key a, number. It's a it's a tough club to get to. <laughs> Woof. Ten years. So if you got ten years to go, you want to get a million bucks. That'd be ugly. You're 55, <laughs> you not retired, 65. You got to have a dime have, saved, and you want that a that magic million. You want okay. to be a millionaire? Yeah. At 12 percent, you need to save 4304. Okay. Four thousand three hundred four dollars. Okay. 6%, Six percent. Six thousand seventy two per month. Six thousand seventy
3: two dollars. Okay. So now we're getting up there. So <laughs> that's that, that. You're taking my whole salary, Jeff.
2: That's a little rich. <laughs> a little rich. How about five years? Want to go five years? Sure. All right. Now you got about five more years, right? <laughs> Something like this. This is what you got to do, buddy. Okay. This is what you got to do. Tell me my marching orders. All right. If you get to, well, you're a good stock picker, aren't you? You Get twelve percent, no sure. problem. Yeah, why not? Uh, save twelve thousand one hundred twenty-three bucks a month. If huh? you save that a month, oh, 12123 12, bucks. Got it. That, if I get twelve percent, twelve percent in five years, that's a million. So, but if, if the
3: market has a as a correction in the next five years, that'd be tough. How about six percent? Let's try that.
2: Yeah, fourteen thousand two hundred sixty-one bucks. Fourteen thousand. Okay, so I need a raise, Joe. All right. Well, talking <laughs> to the wrong guy. <laughs> Three percent, right? Yeah. That would be you know, a five year time frame, you probably need to be a little bit more conservative. Yeah. So if you got three percent over that five year time period, you need right. to save fifteen thousand four thirty
3: a month. Okay. So somewhere <laughs> That's after tax. You're saying right, you're saying somewhere between twelve and and fifteen thousand dollars a month I gotta save. To get to To a million, million? if you start from zero. If I start at age sixty and have nothing. Correct. Yeah, good thing I I, I have more than nothing.
2: (sighs) Well, yeah. You look at the big, (laughs) big wallet on Big Al. (laughs) So, you know, looking at that here, I got another, you know, little fun fact for you. Okay. Now that I've depressed everyone in the first five minutes of our uh, show here, let's say if you have a thirty-year life expectancy. Okay. All right. And you want to retire. And you want to spend a hundred thousand dollars a year? Okay. Everything has to come from your overall portfolio. That portfolio will grow at six percent per year, mm-hmm. and it will be zero at the end of thirty years. Okay. You need two million dollars, $2, uh, hundred and eight dollars. Okay. That's what you need to accumulate if you want to spend a hundred thousand bucks. Yeah, that's more than a four percent. Distribution because rate. you don't have it, right? Yeah. Because if you look at it, it's like, oh, well, if I want to spend a hundred thousand bucks, all right, but there could be fixed income sources, right? Yeah, maybe so. So let's say you have a uh, pension, social right. security, right. Maybe some real estate income. Yeah. Maybe a side gig. Yeah. And let's say that that brings in fifty thousand mm-hmm. bucks. All right. So you want to spend a hundred? You got fifty thousand coming in. Now you need a portfolio that's going to sustain. 50,000. Mm-hmm. So that's a million twenty. Right. 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 So, yeah, it's about a 5% burn rate. Yes, yeah, is what we Because it's going to go down to zero. It's growing at six. They're doing, it's not they're doing including. Six. So, this chart here, this is done. Um, oh, there's a little side note here. Potential uh, pension and Social Security income benefits are not represented in the illustration.
3: Got it. Well, and it probably doesn't include taxes. Right? Exactly. Yeah. That's
2: the big deal right there. Yeah, here. I know, right? Because taxes aren't free, it turns out. But if um, let's say if you want to spend um, thirty thousand bucks, Al, and you got five years left to live, okay, right? how, was, how much do I need? One hundred forty-one bucks. One hundred forty-one thousand. One hundred forty-one thousand. Okay. So, so a couple that. of things you can do, right? You can shorten your life expectancy a little bit if you don't have enough cash flow. How do you do that? You just don't eat well oh, and I'm smoke. Smoke and, a lot of cigarettes. Drink, drink a lot of booze. Get <laughs> that Harley out. Don't exercise. That you wanted. Don't wear a helmet. yeah <laughs> uh, <now>, I <laughs> And I read something, and it was by the, the Research Institute. And they were like, you know, this whole retirement crisis is not real. Like, people are just fine living off of their Social Security. Really? Yeah. And I said, oh, okay. well. They- I guess the majority of the population probably is. Well, they have to be, right? Well, <laughs> yeah, they have no choice. Yeah. Yeah. They have no choice. So, anyway, um, just thought... the get you depressed. Now you need to save $15,000 a month and you need several million dollars to support a lifestyle. So there. I guess How's the moral too? of the story is the earlier you start, the better, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a lot of things that you can toggle, right? Um, you can delay your Social Security. What was that stat that you were you and I were talking about? You were like... Um,
3: yeah, yeah. So it's something like, now we know that if you start saving at age 25 versus 35 or 45, but they did a stat. If you start saving at 25... Or at 45 versus 25 so you start saving 20 years later it's about the same impact of at age 60 planning to retire at age 62 and working till age 70 so in other words, those eight years on the back end
2: is worth twenty years of accumulation of the end, end on the front end. On
3: the front end, and the reason that happens is a bunch of reasons. You're you're generally making more income, higher higher wage earner at that point. Uh, secondly, you've got savings already, so it's just compounding. compounding. And third is your social security becomes uh, a lot higher because you don't you take it at seventy versus sixty two. It's what about a seventy two percent increase versus sixty two. And then the bad thing is your life expectancy is shorter, So you have less years to fund it. So it actually, it, that's how this can work.
2: Yeah, I still think that seventy should be the new retirement age.
3: Yeah, I've heard you say that we're, before. We're living
2: a heck of a lot longer. Well, no, it should be are in
3: the, great shape. The and... problem though is a lot of people, uh, they they have to leave their jobs not by their own choice. Right. What fifty percent of people? About fifty percent.
2: Yeah. Ha- uh, yeah. Half are forced into an early retirement. Right. So.
1: Nobody knows what's ahead for investors, but Larry Suedro's book, Playing the Winner's Game, Think, Act, and Invest Like Warren Buffett, offers bedrock investing principles that can help you profit in today's shaky markets. Right now, it's available for free to Your Money, Your Wealth listeners. Just click special offer at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to get yours. Learn how to think like Warren Buffett and build a well-designed portfolio based on solid evidence and your highest interests. Playing the Winner's Game, Think, Act, and Invest Like Warren Buffett by Larry Swedro, with a forward by Joe Anderson CFP and Big Al Clopine CPA. Click Special Offer at YourMoneyYourWealth.com to get your free copy.
2: Hey, welcome back to the show. The show's called Your Money Your Wealth. Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner. I'm with, of course, Big Al Clopine. He's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in. We got Tom Anderson back on Al. We do, and it seems like I mean we talked to Tom recently, but uh, he wrote a new book. Yes, he did. And it, there's no relation, I wish.
3: Oh. Yeah. I can Yeah. Well, Andersons I, are smart people. I you was, know that. Right I was, now. yeah, I, I was thinking that you were going to say, you know what? I did some research, and Tom is a distant cousin, but that's not true. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess not. No, well, probably
2: somewhere on the. Well, family I suppose tree. we're I all related yeah, somehow. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let's bring him on, Tommy Anderson. Welcome to the show,
0: Joe Al. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it.
2: Oh well, you know the, the books that you have written, um, and then uh, you speak all over the country on. In, in some cases, when it comes to traditional financial planning, could be a little controversial, if I do say so, when it comes to the value of debt in retirement, or value of debt in growing your business, when I think a lot of the other pundits might say you want to be debt-free. Let's talk about how you can utilize debt, and um, in, in what's different with this new book versus um, the, the other books that you've written.
0: Yeah, so I, I think you're right. It is a controversial topic. And uh, so I try to minimize that controversy by basically saying, look, there are different types of debt. We can't group it all into the same category. And what we need to do is we need to use all of the tools and resources that we have available to us to have the highest probability of success with the least amount of risk. And that's what this book series is about. And so the first book, we kind of outlayed the general ideas. The next one was about retirement. And this book is really about building wealth, how much debt we should have while we're trying to make sure that we've got you know, the right ability to enjoy life today, be prepared for emergencies and be on track for the retirement that we all want to have.
2: You know, what, what I love about it is that you look at both sides of the balance sheet right? You got the equity side and the debt side. And then when you think of building wealth, a lot of times you're like, well, if I look at a net worth statement, I look at my assets, then I look at my liabilities, and I subtract my liabilities from my assets, and that equals my net worth. So if I have larger debt, or if I continue to hold that debt, how is that actually going to build me wealth?
0: Well, if you just hold the debt and you don't grow the assets, then it mathematically can't grow your wealth.
2: (laughs) So there's a qualifier. I suppose, yeah. I'm not that' right, Tom. <laughs>
0: well, but this is important, and this is where it is controversial because my books aren't about buying things that you can't afford. Uh, they're not about you know ways to, to do kind of stupid things that we shouldn't be doing. It's about living responsibly, and part of being responsible is that if you choose to have some strategic debt in place, I assume you're going to save the difference. Most people are vastly undersaved, not only for retirement, but for the curveballs that life can send all of us. And I want people to have more liquidity and more flexibility. And if you have that, then
2: some debt can actually be good for you. So let's talk about that. What are some of the strategies that people should think about?
0: Well, first of all, they should uh, uh, group debt into different categories. I, I have basically three categories of debt, what I call oppressive, working, and enriching debt. Oppressive debt is going to be things like credit card debt. If you've got a credit card at you know, 19%, then you need to step in and pay that down. Uh, that, that will oppress you. Payday loans will oppress you. Any debt at a rate greater than 10%, get rid of as fast as you possibly can.
2: Yeah, most definitely. But I think when people think of debt, that's... What they're thinking of. And it's like, well, no, pay that thing off, right? You got credit card debt, you have, you know, or or, let's go to Best Buy and then you get conned into buying that nice TV and, oh, you want 20% off? Yeah, open up a Best Buy card. And then next thing you know, it's kind of this um, tumbling effect, if you will.
0: Yep. You know, we all want that new uh, uh, flat-screen TV with the more features and so forth, and we can put it on the, the merchant's card, and that is not what this is about. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all uh, right.
3: All right. We can't do that then. All right.
0: Can't do that. Where conventional and wisdom and I are on the exact same page is get rid of all of that type of debt as fast as you possibly can. It's not about that type of debt. But there's other types of debt where some people have uh, student debt, and, and maybe that debt is at a, a rate of 5 or 6%, in some cases lower. You want to be cautious in paying that down because you need to value the liquidity of having the money in the bank to be able to weather the storms that life sends us off. And then enriching debt is, is going to be debt that you choose to have yet could pay off. Um, that one becomes a little more complicated, but we think about mortgages, right? If you could build up money in the bank instead of paying down on the house, that gives you more liquidity, flexibility, and more money working for you long term, which increases the chances that you'll be on track for retirement.
2: Would you suggest then that everyone would have a, a, a 30-year fixed mortgage? Well, um, mortgages
0: are tricky. There, there isn't a, a one-size-fits-all, and the 30-year mortgage can certainly be attractive uh, if you intend to live in a house for 30 years. Um, a lot of times, that's not the case, that people don't plan to be there that long. So generally, um, uh, to start the conversation, if you're planning on being in a property less than five years, the rent versus buy math will oftentimes be in favor of renting. I think more people should be renting, and there's an illusion of the benefits of uh, home ownership for short-term periods of time. Uh, the longer the period of time, the the right mortgage depends on how long you'll be in the
2: property. And so what? Wh- wh- how, how would you calculate that? What, 10 years or 20 years or...
0: Well, I'll tell you a quick story. So um, uh, it's a favorite one of mine. But I was walking down the streets in Chicago, and I ran into a friend, and, and he was a physician, and he, you know, kind of came up and, and gave me a chest bump, and he said, "Tom, I just got the best 30-year fixed mortgage," and he's telling me his rate, and let's say it was you know five percent, and he's like so proud that he like shopped and got the best loan, and I said. Your wife told me that you guys are going to move to the suburbs in in five years. I'm going to actually put it at three years. What what they should have done was a five year interest only mortgage, and, and because they thought they were locking you know interest rates for thirty years, but if they could have been on a mortgage at you know three and a half or four percent, they would have saved one percent times the amount of their mortgage. Now in this instance, it was a large mortgage, but if it was a five hundred thousand or million dollar mortgage, you're saving. 5000 or $10,000 a year on a $200,000 mortgage. You could save $2,000 a year by having the right mortgage in place for the length of time that you intend to be in the property. And so many people forget that important component when they're refinancing their homes.
2: You know, Alan, I've, I've done several different types of analysis, and in your book, I mean, you mathematically prove um, that having certain debt is is going to enrich your overall wealth. And we've done the same. And I'm a big believer of having you know certain type of debt because we we see individuals that want to you know be debt free at retirement, and that is a phenomenal goal. Um, However. There's lack of liquidity, as you said. So they might be paying, you know, double to their mortgage to get all of this, you know, capital down. But they have very little money in retirement accounts, or you know, not enough cash reserves, or there's no diversification in how they're saving in regards to maybe they should be putting the money into a Roth IRA or, or maybe just a brokerage account, uh, you know, to get them a little bit better liquidity when that when they do start drawing these things down. But how do you educate someone, even if you show them? the numbers, because it's such an emotional thing to, to, to get that mortgage paid off. How, how do you explain that to someone that is that emotionally tied to being debt-free?
0: Yep. So what's better than being debt-free is being able to be debt-free. And so what I mean by that is, if you save up the money in the bank and are benefiting from the power of that compound interest throughout time then you have the ability, you can always choose to pay down on your mortgage at any point in time. That's the power of these ideas. Save the money instead of putting it down on the house. You can always choose to pay down any time that you don't like the strategy. That's the beauty of it.
3: I think that is a big key, though, is you got to save the difference. And, and if people can't save it, maybe they should do the forced savings on the mortgage. But if you can save it and you have the discipline it, the numbers really do work out. You can prove that it's better to have debt rather than paying it off too quickly.
0: The math is clear. And, and when you think about it, look, we had attitudes with respect to exercise. We've had attitudes with respect to our diet. Uh, smoking, you know, people used to think smoking was uh, uh, was was not bad for you. And then we learned, hey, smoking is actually bad for you. It is? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs>
3: yeah, Joe hasn't got that study yet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, the same thing I think is, is true about debt. It, with the The math is compelling that a little bit of debt the right way, will increase the chances that you do not run out of money in retirement. And, and life is full of risk, and I want people to have the least risky risk possible. And so I understand that debt is risky, but if you can have some debt, and maybe it's true that the only way you can save is if a bank forcibly takes money from you and makes you pay down your debt. But you can also set up a plan to dollar cost average or to monthly save into your savings account. And I think you should try that and see the power of that strategy over time. If you don't like it, you can always go back.
3: Yeah, it's, it's probably not unlike a company. A company very often will borrow money so that they can go out and hire more people and create more sales. They create more value and ultimately more profits. And it's the same kind of principles down on an individual level.
0: Joe and Al, you've heard the saying, it takes money to make money. Uh, the more money that you have working for you, mathematically, the better the chances are you're going to be on track. That's that's simple. Um, why people are so reluctant then to let money be in the bank working for them, I don't understand that.
1: Your Money, Your Wealth isn't just a podcast. It's also a TV show. Check out Your Money, Your Wealth on YouTube to see Joe and Big Al talking about planning for retirement over your entire lifespan, investing biases you may not realize you have, social security claiming strategies, and... Pure...
3: Financial feud. What is the percentage of social security beneficiaries that are women? Uh, Mike. I'm gonna go 45%. That is incorrect. Oh, Joe, you have a guess? I had no idea what the question was.
1: <laughs> Watch clips of the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show. Just search YouTube for Pure Financial Advisors and Your Money, Your Wealth. Talking to Tom Anderson about
2: debt and how to utilize that. You know, if you look at governments, right, so we'll ask the question is, well, what do you think is larger, the stock market or the bond market? And what do you think most people tell us, Tom?
0: Well, of course they think the stock market.
2: Yeah, they do. it's like the stock market is a lot larger than the bond market. And I try to give this analogy, it's pretty stupid, but it's like if you think of like this, the bond market, think of the globe, you know, and then if you think of the, the stock market, think of like, Santee is like a really small city here in <laughs> outside of San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, but it's not that drastic, but governments, they borrow money, that's the treasury, trillions versus companies, uh, or, 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 or governments don't issue stock, they issue mm-hmm. bonds, and a bond is debt. So it's, it's, it's just being a little bit more aware of both sides of the balance sheet really do enrich your life, which I think you do a phenomenal job of explaining in these books.
0: Well, I appreciate it, but, and you are exactly right. Governments embrace debt as a way to, to finance their, their, their operations, right, uh, uh, the infrastructure, all of the needs that governments have. Companies embrace debt. Uh, Nobel Prizes have been awarded on this topic. to so what's the optimal corporate capital structure? Look at companies like Apple. They have billions of dollars of cash. They have billions of dollars of debt. It's because they value the liquidity, the flexibility, and the tax benefits of that debt yet people are shunning the ideas that governments and companies and Nobel Prizes have been awarded on. I I think we can learn from what they're doing, and we can embrace it, that there's a better way that creates a higher probability of success.
3: So Tom, why don't you take us through, so with your new book, uh, In Building Wealth, how does that relate to a 40-year-old, let's say, that's saving versus a 60-year-old that's about to retire?
0: So I do put a little bit of attention on uh, age, but more than age, what I try to look at is we're it's, it's all at different stages of life. And, and I, I look at those stages as your net worth relative to your income. So if your income is less than 50%, uh, if your net worth is less than 50% of your annual income, so let's say for easy math, you make $100,000 and your net worth is less than $50,000, then you're what I call the launch phase of life. And during this phase, you want to try to avoid all forms of debt. You just really want to focus on building up that liquidity and savings. You could be 25 or you could be 40, but if you're in the launch phase, eliminate all forms of debt and build up money to break the check-to-check cycle.
2: Would that include a mortgage?
0: Um, Actually, this is, uh, uh, again, kind of against conventional wisdom, but even a mortgage – During that phase, I don't want you to take on debt. Even what we could both argue is good debt. I don't even want you to have a mortgage in that phase because so many people jump into home ownership too early. And I I had personally bad experience with it. I moved into a house and then, you know, the furnace went out and I had a $6,000 bill and I paid it, and I basically still had heat and just less money in my account and went back to check to check, right? (laughs) And then I had to do the roof. And and so uh, homeownership has benefits, but there's a lot of expenses associated with it. You don't have liquidity. You can't handle those curveballs.
2: What's the next phase?
0: The next phase is when you're coming into that independence phase. This is when your net worth is between 50% and two times your annual income. So for easy math, if you have $100,000 of income, if your net worth is between $50,000 and $200,000, now we're starting to get into independence. Here, absolutely, home ownership is going to come on the table. Many other things. And I start to talk about how we can build up money for those big life changes. Maybe they're kids. Maybe they're a new home. Uh, we're trying to you know, uh, get married. Uh, um, uh, many things happen during this phase of life. Oftentimes, it's in our 30s. And, and may, but in many cases, it can be our 40s. And in some cases, even our 50s. Here, we can want to embrace the right amount of debt. We want to have good debt in our life, and we don't want to pay that debt down. I'm actually comfortable having a higher debt level during those phases, and all additional money I want to build up your liquid investment assets, not to pay
2: down that good debt. Well, let's go to the other phase, and then then I'll recap. Sure. So freedom is
0: when your net worth is uh, uh, between two and five times your annual income, and then equilibrium is when you're between – Uh, five and 20 times. If your net worth is more than 20 times your annual income, you can take all my ideas with debt and throw them out the window. So if you make $100,000 and have a net worth of more than 2 million bucks, you don't need debt. Anyone that tells you that they do, they can't mathematically prove it. But until you're in those zones, I want you to reduce your debt ratio by building up your assets rather than paying down debt. And that's all that the book is about. Once you break through that 20-time ratio, which we should put you on a path to how you'll get there, you can do whatever you want to do.
2: So when you're in different phases, you want a different debt ratio, and I think that's where people might get a little bit confused when they just hear the word, you know, building wealth with debt, because if, if you're in a certain phase, it's like, no, you should not have any debt at all, and I think the people that get in trouble with debt, they have debt in the wrong phase, potentially.
0: That's exactly right. People take on the wrong type of debt, they take on too much of it, and they take it on at the wrong stage of life. And so, what I'm trying to do is, is, is throughout life, those launch, independence, freedom, and equilibrium, is have different levels of debt, the right debt at the right times. And so, um, actually, what uh, the, the way the ratios were come up with is, uh, uh, it's through what's called the Fibonacci sequence. Are, are you familiar with what's called the divine ratio or the golden ratio?
2: Nope, we're shaking our heads. Uh, I, I told you, ed, Tom, edu- I'm not that I'm not that smart. Ed- Educators.
0: Have you seen the movie The uh, The Da Vinci Code?
2: Yes, I did. See yeah, that. Tom Hanks, love him.
0: Yeah, Tom Hanks. Oh. So what happens is uh, uh, Da Vinci was uh, obsessed with this. Have you ever seen the picture of the the man with his kind of arms spread out and his legs? It's the the Vitruvian Man, and what it's talking about is is it's a, a, the perfect proportions in in our bodies. If you think about it, uh, the proportions in a a rose are the same as a hurricane of the Milky Way. Mozart and Beethoven have been obsessed with the the ratios, and and there was a mathematician called Fibonacci, and in the beginning of The Da Vinci Code, this mathematician, uh, um, uh, uh, there's a a reference to that uh, sequence. Uh, It's called the divine ratio or God's ratio because there's a, a series of ratios of balance. And what I actually do in the book is I apply those ratios of balance uh, to your financial life, saying that we can be a rose or a hurricane or the Milky Way, and we can have different levels of balance throughout our life.
2: That's great stuff, Tom. I really appreciate your time. I know you're super busy. Guys, you got to get this book. It's The Value of Debt and Building Wealth. Best seller, Thomas J. Anderson. Tom, thanks a lot again. Any last parting words for our audience?
0: It's like red wine, chocolate. The right amount, the right way, good for you. Uh, too much of debt, bad for you. So it's all about focusing on the phases of life and balance would be my big themes for people as they embrace these ideas going forward.
2: So as we go into the weekend, you're telling me to drink in moderation. <laughs> exactly right. That's what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> he said all right to you. Yeah, boy. God,
1: Tom knows me well. All righty. <laughs> It's been three decades since the last major tax reform, but this could be about to change in a major way. That said, the president and the Republican Party are still divided on a number of key policy questions. Visit the White Papers section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to download the White Paper Tax Reform, Trump versus the House GOP, for a deeper look into the proposals. How might income tax, estate tax, and business tax change? Are your tax strategies at risk? Download the Tax Reform White Paper to find out more. Visit the White Papers section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture in handy bullet point format. This week, six common myths that can mess up your retirement.
3: I don't want to mess up my retirement. So what are the things that I have to watch out for? And, and myth number one, Joe, is um, the myth is that you have a magic number. We just talked about magic numbers. I know. It's, a, it's an easy assumption. All you need to have a comfortable retirement is save enough money so you can withdraw 4% each year of your nest egg. But that so-called 4% rule doesn't work for everyone, because it depends upon your lifestyle, your health, your investment portfolio, the sequence of returns in the market. There's a lot of things that it can depend upon. For example, if you are the type of person you retire, and I don't want to take any risk, everything is going into my my bank CD or government T-bills, then your rate of return is not going to be enough to sustain a 4% distribution rate.
2: right? Well, it could, if you're just going to burn it to zero and hopefully you die. Now it now the, the
3: day fl- before. Yeah, the flip side of that is if you're in poor health, right? Sure. And then and so that's the other factor. Or your age when you start it. Yeah, what's your life expectancy? And and the, the tricky thing about that as you know is you don't really know when you're going to pass away. Generally, unless you go to a fortune teller or something like <laughs> sure. that, but uh, generally you don't know. So it, you may you may live to 80, but you may live to 90. Right, so maybe out of plan till ninety because you just don't know.
2: Right, and I think it also depends on what you're going to spend. Uh, you know, how much you're going to spend. You know, I might just binge watch Netflix. <laughs> that's your retirement. Right. <laughs> so all I need is a nine ninety nine a month. You're <laughs> done. Yeah. You, you ever set. seen uh, the leftovers? Leftovers? No. Oh, that's kind of a. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you watch all this stuff? I don't
2: watch. Well, I get these recommendations. Do you? It's about like. Um, I don't know. I think it had something to do with the Bible, and I'm going to sound really ignorant, <laughs> but like, uh, millions of people disappear. Oh, you're talking about the rapture. Yes, there yeah, it is. okay, See, that's forgot. the word you wanted. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. I, I, I didn't can... want to say something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'll help you out there.
3: Rapture. Or... That's the book of Revelation. Oh, thank you. See,
2: <laughs> right there. That's why I got Big Al. He's, he's I'll right help you on,
3: a, on matters of religion.
2: Yeah, so it's it's a pretty interesting, um, interesting program.
3: Oh, actually, that would be kind of interesting. Yeah, there you go. Leftovers, check it out. So so the second one here, Joe, is that uh, Medicare will cover all of your health care in retirement. We know that's not true. It's uh Fidelity tells us that a 65-year-old couple is going to need to spend around 250 thousand dollars. Well, over, Fidelity the tells
2: us, of course, it's
3: yeah. <laughs> then it's you got know it, you know it's true. But Joe, I've got a second source, Employee Benefit Research Institute. So here's what they say: 65-year-old uh, that wants a 90 percent chance of having enough savings to cover health care expenses in retirement, the average male would need 124 thousand. The average female, 140 thousand. So if you add those two together, it's about 164. So we're getting some collaboration from different sources, and the way that they come up with that is uh, that just realize this: that Medicare doesn't cover everything, and in in a lot of cases, you're going to be out of pocket for a bunch of stuff. That's sometimes why people get supplemental insurance, but mm-hmm. but that's expensive too, that's right? right? So you got to factor that in. But
2: you know what bugs me about that stat is that I think sometimes. People will use that stat to scare you, right? To, to, right, to think that you need an additional two hundred fifty thousand in the bank.
3: Yeah, and so you're thinking I've got I've got two hundred thousand. It's going to fund my retirement. So I got nothing. For I medical. got nothing less. Everything's
2: yeah. going to go to healthcare. Right, right, and. And w- when you get close to retirement, right? It's like you're you're dotting your eyes, crossing your t's. You're taking a look at every penny that you have, and making sure that this lasts you for the next 20, 30 years. And then you get these stats coming out and say, well, you know, an average couple is going to spend two hundred fifty thousand bucks. And right off the bat, I'm thinking, wow, I need an additional two hundred fifty thousand on top of that just right. to cover health care. Right. Yeah. Well, no, it's you know, do the math. It's a few hundred bucks a month. Yeah, and this is an
3: article, Joe, written uh, in that uh, was CNBC that published it. And even the way that it's written here, it says a 65 year old um, wants that wants a 90% chance of having enough savings, then they go on. The average man would need to save $124,000, and the average woman would have to suck away 140000 which I agree with you. It's misleading because, really, a better way to say this is this is what you're going to spend over, over time, your lifetime. Right? And you have, s- hopefully, sources of income like Social Security, like pension like your savings this, that's where this comes from it's not like you need this this store, store yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah yeah you have your little health care um <laughs> little, little bucket i got
2: my bucket for fun right, my envelope healthcare. that would have been a fat envelope, envelope. yeah right that this is a fat one so <laughs> i got my health care envelope there's two
3: hundred sixty-four thousand 000 in ones you know what's interesting though is not included in these figures is long-term care. Sure. So long-term care—if you need that—this is over and above this two hundred fifty
2: thousand-ish. Yeah, no, that's a real scary statistic there too, because a, a lot of us are going to need some sort of care. Right. You know, it it's could, probably half, right, or more. Yeah. Well, it depends on the stance, right? But right. I've seen Whoever seventy. You, right. But it, you know, and so it could just be for a couple of weeks. Right, or it could be for several years, Sure, you know, so you look at the average stay in a long term care facility, what is it about three years, three and a half years, depending on if you're male or female, but that's an average, right? yeah, so some of us will like Christopher Reeve, he needed you know long term care for many, many years, yeah, and a lot of people
3: go in for a month or or like right. you,
2: you or they die or well, that, you that know, or, or, or you hip, or
3: the, hip replacement replacement, or you need you need some convalescence, so you're not necessarily there forever. Sure, so that that happens, so here's another myth, Joe, which is uh, you cannot count on social security benefits. How many people do we talk to that say, "You know what, Joe, Al, let's not even include social security in the plan because I don't think it's going to be there, sure, And the truth is this uh, is even if the Social Security Administration runs out of money, as they projected in 2034, 79% of your benefits will still be paid out. Why? Because people are still contributing to the Social Security Administration because they're working. So in other words, I'm not saying this is great, but I'm saying that, worst case, uh, under current projections, you will receive almost 80 percent of your promised benefit. Now, the truth is that's if only if Congress, Senate, President make no changes, which is uh, not likely to be honest because so many people are depending upon Social Security. And by the way, they've made changes in the past that have fixed it. It's it's just that no one wants to fix it because it adds more tax dollars and and it's it's very unpopular. So what will likely happen is as we get closer to 2000. 2034 someone'll have to fix it and there you go
2: right yeah and, you know, I know some people are thinking, too, it's like, well, we don't know. I mean, of course we don't know what's yeah, going to happen in 2030. Uh, all you
3: can do is kind of take your best guess. But here's what I will say, though, is uh, if you have a lot of assets, it is possible that means testing will come at some point, which means that if you got enough income or assets, maybe you're not allowed to take Social Security. Sure. That's
2: possible. It's not true now, but that is possible. Yeah, I think that's definitely one way. they are probably, you know, delay So. Social Security benefits uh, for people in their 20s, 30s, 40s. Right? Yeah, but since we're living
3: longer, they right. kind
2: of need to put... I bet you the youngest
3: age, will, instead of 62, will be 63 or 64 or Well, they might like keep that. the
2: earliest age at 62, but their full retirement age it won't be 67. Right. It might be... Seventy, it might sixty nine, yeah, something right, like that, right? Or they're going to change the cost of living adjustments on it. They're, it could be means tested. It could be you know, all, or a combination of all of it. They could increase our you know payroll taxes.
3: Yeah, that's that's probably the most likely. Joe is it'll be kind of a little bit of everything.
2: But here's what I'm confused about is that the millennials is the largest generation by numbers, right? And so we hear constantly that the baby boomer, this age wave, right? right um, is, you know, coming through now. Right. And they're going to disrupt the the stock market because they're going to be taking money out of their accounts and this and that. And I'm just like, oh, my God, it's all these fear mongrels. It drives me (laughs) nuts. (laughs) But if the largest generation is the millennials, let's say in the next 20 years, now they're all in, you know, the workforce. Uh, Yeah, and they're,
3: they're investing and they're saving and they're contributing to Social Security Administration. So I would agree. I think that a lot of the original predictions, maybe, if you will, years ago, were, were based upon the baby boomers being the largest generation. And lo and behold, now the millennials are.
1: When it comes to planning for retirement what you have now versus what you actually need are two entirely different things. How do you get from point A to point B? Do you have a plan to achieve your retirement goals? Visit YourMoneyYourWealth.com and sign up for your free financial assessment. There are so many things to think about. Income, risk, asset allocation, inflation, taxes, Social Security, healthcare, Medicare, long-term care. The list goes on and on. You need to talk to a professional. Sign up for a free two-meeting assessment with a service Certified Financial Planner at YourMoneyYourWealth.com.
3: Joe, I'm working on a list here called the six common myths that can mess up your retirement, and uh, here's one that says that you will be able to work as long as you want to. And uh, people, they're more and more, they're planning on working longer to save for retirement. About 30% of U.S. workers uh, over age 60 say they don't plan to retire until at least age 70, and 20% say they don't believe they will ever retire uh but that's by a survey on career builder now here's another one EBRI retirement confidence survey so they they have uh, they said more than half the people Expect to work pat, past age 65, but the current stats, Joe, people working past age 65, it's only 15%. So a lot of people are not able to work, and it's uh, and if you think about it, wh- how could that happen? Well, there's a lot of reasons: your own health, your spouse's health, your parents. Maybe you got to take care of them, uh, or maybe your job it's it's passed you by. Maybe somebody, somebody younger, quicker takes your pos- Especially if you have a technical type position and you're not keeping. Up and a lot of times, if you're in your 50s and 60s, your salaries are higher, and companies look to try to try to decrease that salary. So just be aware that you don't always have control over that.
2: Hey, here's um, another confidence uh, survey: the 2016 Retirement Confidence Survey and Worker Confidence Survey. So planned age retirement before 60. So they surveyed, right? Yeah, eight percent said they plan on retiring before 60. 8%. Okay. 8%. Actual retirement age before 60, 35%. No kidding. That's a big difference. So you take a look at people of what they're planning on doing and what the actuality is. Right. Is significantly different. Right. Significantly. 60 to 64, when they said, what age do you plan on retirement? Between that age, 16% said, yeah, I think that's the age I'd like to retire. Actual, 34. Right. 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 So you look at... Seventy sure. percent of actual retirement ages is before sixty-four.
3: Right, seventy percent, right?
2: thirty-five and thirty-four, yeah, pretty yeah. close. Yeah, yeah. Right, and so if you look at people that planned on retirement seventy-plus, twenty-six percent actuality, eight.
3: Eight, yeah, right. So, and that's consistent with that Voya survey that came out a few years ago that said about fifty percent leave the workforce quicker sooner than they were expecting. So, all right, Joe, here's another one. You will spend less and pay less taxes in retirement. Well, that's an interesting statement. Uh, That certainly is true for some people. I would
2: say most. Most. Not our listeners, but most.
3: Yeah. So if we focus on our listeners that have saved and done the right thing and they've got assets, you probably want to spend more. I mean, how many people have we talked to you that say, Joe, Al, I, we, we've been, we've wanted to do these trips. We've been meaning to fix the home. I was thinking about getting an RV. Right. You know, gosh. I, but be...
2: a lot of those people still don't pull the trigger doing it because they are fearful of running out of money. That's true, too. Even though they, they they can easily afford it, they've were diligent savers. They have millions in the bank, and you know they want to do some different things, but th- they won't do it. There's you know they, there's more anxiety. It's like I can't you know I don't want to be a burden. We saved all this money, you know we're just going to continue to you know live within our means. And they might not know what living within their means means right. in retirement, right? right? Yeah, because your paycheck, let's say you made seventy thousand dollars but if if I've saved millions or got millions right then that means what I probably maxed out my 401k plans sure I've saved into my Roth IRA plans so you they're pro- and then after tax they're probably living off of thirty thousand forty thousand dollars a year so that's what they're accustomed to but now they're in retirement they have potential pensions they have Social Security and millions and they're still only wanting to spend that 40. Right, great. Right. So, no, you got to find out what you can spend to enjoy it. Spend your money. We encourage you all the time to spend your money, yes, but know how much that you can spend and make sure that you have a plan in place to devise that strategy. And it works both ways because we have lots of people that are spending way
3: more than they should, yeah. And then the flip side, and it just happens all the time, the uh, the folks that have saved, they get into that mindset of living below their means, which is great. Now they retire. They've got plenty. They can do virtually anything they want to do, and they can't pull the trigger. Having a saver so trying right.
2: to spend is a challenge. It is.
3: It is. And having a spender trying to save, that's a tough one, too. <laughs> so You want to be somewhere in the middle, I suppose. What Here's would our... you say you are? What's spender that? or saver? Me, I would. Well, in my twenties, I was definitely a saver. Then when I got married, that sort of switched a little bit because Anne is. Um, she's interesting. She she has this big side of her which is live for today, enjoy today, which I love. I think, I agree. But she also has a saver side of her. So she's kind of she's somewhere in the middle, I would say. And I'm and I'm more of a saver now. Over time, I'd say we're both kind of more in the middle but yeah no i'm i've always my, by my nature i've been a saver but i've learned because of her
2: to enjoy the moment as well right uh, that's where challenges come in with marriages it is yeah where all right well here i'm a, a spender and she's a saver right. or vice versa yes uh, that can and um
3: yeah interesting yeah it, it can be really tough and of course if you have two savers Great. God bless you. If you have two spenders, watch out.
2: (laughs) Hopefully someone has a very large income.
3: (laughs) Right. My last myth here, Joe, is that you'll live in the same place throughout retirement. And uh, nearly 90% of older Americans want to age in place, and 80% say that they believe their current residence will be where they always live. But nowadays, uh, and and especially in Southern California, a lot of people have the majority of their wealth and or their equity in their homes, and it's not always possible. So, uh, and plus, you think about the home that maybe made sense for your kids—two-story home, you know, all big, big yard. You're trying to—you get older, and that's tougher to take care of. Tougher to go up and down the stairs. Although I would maintain this, and now I've just turned sixty. We have a home with stairs, which I think it's great. I think that's great for
2: your exercise, as long as you can do it. (laughs) See, I run the convention stairs downtown San Diego. Al runs up down his house I do I do I've got I have a routine
3: where I run 80 flights in a row. It takes me about 20 minutes. Uh, How big is
2: your house? It's well, 80 flights. Well, it's, it's, are you going up a hundred thousand times? What are you doing? Yeah,
3: up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Dick and dizzy? No, I, <laughs> it's 15 steps, so I'm doing 80 times 15. <laughs> I tell you, you got a pretty good workout.
2: Uh, I, I don't tell. have
3: to. I don't have to run the convention center. I've got the You house. Got,
2: yes. Oh man, I gotta c- come check that out. <laughs> you do. <laughs> <laughs> Try it. See if you can do 80 times. Oh yeah. Do you throw a couple push-ups in there? Some lunges? I don't. Uh, but
3: after I'm done, I've got to I've got to walk in circles. You know, we've got a living room that goes to the kitchen, family rooms. You know, in the hallway, you just walk in circles. Oh my god! And so it's a self-contained <laughs> gymnasium <true>. home <laughs> retreat. <laughs> it's like perfect. <laughs> You know, I don't ever have to leave the home.
2: Uh, oh, god! I I haven't seen this. Well, maybe because I haven't been to a mall um, in I don't know how long. Um, but you know, growing up in Minnesota, it yeah. got really cold. You know, it's yeah. cold as so you, so you stay inside. So, and it, you know, as a teenager and things like that, you'd go to the mall. Yeah. And these the, the little old ladies, you know, nice gentlemen, yeah, they got their walking shoes on, headphones, just <laughs> cruising around the mall. The indoor mall, I yeah, take In, it down. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's inside. Yeah, right. Some, oh, right. Popeye, you'd be all over that. I'd be that. all set. <laughs> you so you got a that, little hand weights? So <laughs> move your move your arms. Get a little bicep workout. No, nah, I just get a couple cans of peas.
3: not take and I don't I don't need any of that uh, fancy stuff.
2: Oh
1: God. It's time to dip into the email bag with financial questions courtesy of Advisor Insights from Investopedia and you, the Your Money, Your Wealth listeners. Joe and Big Al are always willing to answer your money questions. Email info at purefinancial.com or you can send your questions directly to joe.anderson at purefinancial.com or alan.clopine at purefinancial.com.
2: Alan, I'm 74 years old and retired. I am collecting RMDs and I'm in the 15% tax bracket. If I withdraw a large sum, say $100,000, from my IRA, will it be taxed at 15% or will it raise my income and cause me to be taxed at a higher rate the year following? Also, will it affect my Medicare premiums and Social Security payments? Wow, there's um, a lot of questions there. That is a good question.
3: Let's start first with the taxes and we have a marginal tax system which means the first few dollars that you earn is taxed at 10% then there's a 15% bracket 25% bracket 28 it gets as high as 39.6 so this individuals in the 15% bracket and we'll just assume he's single the bracket goes up to about $37,000 of taxable income. So let's just assume with his required distributions, and I don't know whether Social Security is taxable or not, but that extra $100,000 will be taxed maybe a little bit in the 15% bracket, but mostly in the 25% bracket, and probably some in the 28% bracket, some potentially even worse, maybe it's subject to alternative minimum tax depending upon how close this individual is to there. So I guess the so the answer is no. When you draw more money out, it's a graduated tax schedule. So you're going to put yourself into higher taxes. Now, understand this, though. If you put yourself into the next bracket by a dollar, you only pay the extra tax on that dollar. Yeah, that's a great not, point. Not the whole thing.
2: Yeah, <clears throat> let's say um, yeah. You, you put yourself... Let, 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 I know Mary, um, $75,000 is, let's say, the 15% tax bracket for a married couple. So if it's $75,000 and he wanted to convert let's say 100000 right? and if he had no other income, he's got deductions, exclusions, and exemptions. So we would need to see his tax return to determine how much of that $100,000 is going to be taxed at what rate. Right. So looking at your 1040, you would want to look at line 43, which is the second page um, about halfway down of your tax return. There's going to be a number there, line 43, that's going to tell you what tax bracket that you're in. Then you can look at the tax tables and say, and you can go to irs.gov and look at the tax tables and say, all right, well, I have room in the 15% tax bracket, let's say, of $25,000. So maybe he would take a distribution of $25,000 versus the $100,000. Or you look at, all right, well, how much money does he have in his retirement account? How much is his RMD? How old is his wife and how much is in her retirement account. Then she's going to have an RMD if she's younger, and then what are those two RMDs together, required minimum distributions out of retirement accounts, going to be combined? And what tax bracket is that going to put them in? So there's different things. But to go back to what you said, Al, if it's $1 over, let's say if he took more money out and it jumped in like in $500 more into that other tax bracket, well, just the $500 would have been taxed at that higher tax rate, not the whole amount. Right. Where I think people get confused. It's they, like, well, I fell in that 25 or 28% tax bracket. So does that mean everything is then taxed at that yeah, rate? Yeah,
3: I, I would honestly say maybe as many as a third of the people that I talk to, they think that's how taxes work. Sure. $1 in, now I'm in a higher tax bracket for everything. It's just that extra dollar. Now, a couple more points on this one is when you have more income because when you take money out of an IRA, it's considered income, then potentially more of your Social Security income is taxable, because there's this concept where it's uh, the amount of tax that that you pay in social security is dependent upon your provisional income and your provisional income is virtually all your income plus half of social security in, in 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 rough in in a rough sense so here's what can happen for those of you that are in the 15% bracket you take more out of your IRA and now all of a sudden more of your social security is taxable and i just saw an example recently of someone that took about $7,000 more out of their IRA it caused their their taxable income to go up by ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So, in other words, they are paying fifteen percent, but they're paying fifteen percent on ten thousand, not seven thousand. So, the effective rate on that seven thousand that they pulled out might be twenty-two percent, or even as high as twenty-seven percent, depending upon where you are on this scale. So, right. so be aware of that. Yeah,
2: it's, it's it's a weird scale with Social Security because all of a sudden, each dollar that you add as ordinary income, let's say as a retirement distribution, it will add another dollar. If you're in this zone right. to taxable income of your social security. Yeah, and I and
3: it's it's a hard thing to explain. But I, I've seen in some cases where someone has pulled out an extra thousand dollars. From their IRA, and they ended up paying about two hundred seventy dollars of extra federal tax because all of a sudden that extra dollar, which they pay tax
2: on, caused more of their social security income to be taxable. Right, it could then go up to eighty-five cents. That's right. Of the dollar is going to now be subject to tax because you get fifteen percent of your income or social security income tax-free. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, another thing too is to be aware of the, the higher the income that you have it's going to be subject to taxation but it's not necessarily going to reduce your payment unless you you have taken your Social Security early, and you have earned income. Right. So this example, he's taking money out of a distribution from a retirement account. So no, it would have zero effect on the actual dollar payment that you're receiving from a gross standpoint. But your net might be completely different um, after taxes, because maybe more of that's going to be subject to income tax. Right. And so at, at, at the current time, when you
3: take Social Security early at age 62, all the way to full retirement age, which this year is 66 years and two months, well, then there's limitations on how much earned income, in other words, how much salary you can have. Uh, once you get over that age, 66 years and two months, it doesn't matter how much you make, whether it's salary or not, it doesn't impact your benefits. It does, however, impact how much you make you pay for Medicare premiums. Right, Because the more that you make, you can go up into higher levels. And as a single taxpayer, you're going to love this, Joe. I guess I wasn't paying attention, uh, because I printed out the 2014 tables. <laughs> so I'm it's about three years behind. But Where did you
2: even find that?
3: I don't know. I was on the Internet, because I... I lost my other sheet. Well, you know, I have a stack of about 1,000 of those. Yeah, I just don't know where they were, and oh. I forgot to ask you. Anyway, um, <laughs> in 2014, <laughs> oh, God. a single taxpayer, once they made over $85,000, they, they started paying more in Medicare. It's it's about 90000 yeah, something like
2: that. Currently. So where Medicare premiums are means-tested. Yeah. The more income that you have, you're higher the premium you're going to get. That, that is correct. That is correct. Where was... Social Security is not there yet, so the more income that you have, they're not going to reduce that. Uh, but the Medicare premiums will increase with a higher income yeah. that you have. You know, here's another side point. But for... they just take a look at the last two years. Right. So if you do have a big jump, you know, some of it is you could fight the increase in payment as well, depending on the circumstance of how that income was created. Right. So right. Just right. FYI. Yeah, I guess one other
3: side point, Joe, is, is for those of you that are in the 15% tax bracket, and again, this is defined as a, as a single taxpayer with taxable income of about 37000 married taxpayer of about 75000 give or take. If you're in this bracket, then if you have capital gains, if you sell a stock or bond mutual fund outside of retirement, so not part of your retirement accounts, and it's at a gain, well, your capital gains rate is zero. So let's say you're married, your taxable income is sixty thousand. You could sell fifteen thousand dollars of gains and pay no federal tax on that because the capital gains rate is zero when you're in the fifteen percent regular rate. I get this question is, well, if that's true, can I sell my 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 rental property with a million dollars of gain and pay no tax? And the answer is no, it's the same idea, it's a graduated schedule. The first fifteen thousand would be tax free in that example, but everything else would be taxed at fifteen percent capital gains rate. Or 20% rate once you get a, up over about 450,000.
2: I have a question that was given to us. Okay. About the pro rata rule. Oh boy. Okay. That's hard to explain. <laughs> we'll, we'll give it our best shot. So the question is Does the pro rata rule include 401k balances? Okay. Right. Uh, the, quick, the quick answer is no. <laughs> How about that? Well, it depends on what's in the 401k balance. How about well, if I have after tax? What well, if I the, have Roth? What well,
3: a, it, the pro rata rule doesn't the 401k balance doesn't affect pro rata rule unless you roll it.
2: What well, there's a there's multiple pro rata rules. What one are you referring to? Well, give me the question. That's the question. Oh, that's the question. Well, there's there's let's start with the Are pro- you thinking like backdoor Roth <laughs> type let's, of pro rata aggregation yeah, let's, rule? Let, let's start with IRAs. You're thinking aggregation. Yeah. I'm th- I'm saying pro rata. Same thing. No it's not okay you you enlighten me all right aggregation is aggregating all of your accounts okay so if i have let's say multiple iras okay and if i have after tax balances in those in one ira okay and i have pre tax balances in all my other iras okay okay so if i look at taking money from the after tax account in my ira right Right, I can't just say give me the after-tax money. And let's say I have ten thousand dollars in that after-tax account. Five thousands after-tax, ten or another five thousand of growth. Ten thousand dollars is um, total balance. Right. Okay. The pro rata rule is that if I took a distribution and that, let's just say that was my only IRA account. Sure. If I took a dollar out of there, fifty percent of it is going to be tax-free, 50% of it is going to be taxable. Right. That's pro rata. Right. The aggregation rule is saying, all right, well, wait a minute, how many more IRAs do you have? And let's say I have five other IRAs with um, a, a total of $80,000, Right. or 90, let's call it $90,000. So now I have a total of $100,000 in IRA balances. Right. Does that make right? Yes. Yeah. So that's aggregation. Okay. So okay. Well, then
3: I'll amend what I said. They're related.
2: Sure. (laughs) Sure. Well, it depends on what you're using. Yeah. So so here. I think we use that in conjunction only when you're looking at trying to do a backdoor Roth IRA conversion. Yeah. So but 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 the point here here's the point I want to make I guess which
3: I think you kind of made uh, which is. When you take money out of an IRA, if there's basis, the the IRS doesn't let you look at an IRA individually. They aggregate all of them together, and then as if you had one IRA, and then any after-tax balance in there, let's say it's 5% of your total IRAs, it doesn't matter which IRA you draw it out, 5% is tax-free and 95% is taxable.
2: Right. And then so if you have the 401k in a bunch of IRAs and you're looking at the pro rata rule, then they would not include that 401k because that 401k would have a separate pro rata rule within the 401k plan.
3: Correct. So if the question is, (laughs) does the the account balance in my 401k affect the pro rata rule in my IRAs, the answer is no, because they're separate. That was the answer I gave at the very beginning. Got it.
2: (laughs) Got it. Um, well, the question I received was about a 401k plan. Okay. And it has after-tax Roth dollars and pre-tax dollars within the 401k plan.
3: Got it. Okay.
2: You're taking distributions from that. How yeah. are those distributions calculated? Got it. Okay. So does the pro rata rule apply? And the answer is yes. Yes, it sure does. Unless you
3: roll the after-tax money to a Roth, you're allowed to do that directly. Uh, And the pre-tax money to an IRA. Now you've effectively separated them.
2: For instance, hypothetically, client comes in million-dollar 401k. Hundred thousand dollars is after-tax contributions. Two hundred thousand is Roth Roth IRA contributions. Okay. Okay. So then you look at all right, how the 401k works is that the after-tax and the pre-tax, not Roth, will be in the same bucket. But your Roth is is in a totally separate bucket. Yeah, they call that sub-account or something like that. Even though you get one statement, even though you take a look at it and you're saying, okay, well, here's my 401k plan. Yes, but you have two totally separate accounts that are managed differently because every contribution that you put into an after-tax dollar... Um, Let's say if I could put more than the $24,000, I'm over 50, I put in more into the after-tax. Well, that after-tax portion, any growth of that is going to be what? Taxed at ordinary income rates. Right. So that's just the same as a pre-tax account. But your after-tax contributions will not be double-taxed. If I have a Roth account and I put dollars in, and let's say I have a $100,000 contribution, but those contributions are going to grow over my, my, my time period of investing. And so they have to keep it in a separate accounting system so they can sure. keep, keep everything separate to see what those Roth dollars grew to, because all of those are going to come out tax-free to you. Right. So this is where it gets a little bit confusing. When you have a 401k plan with Roth contributions, after-tax contributions, and pre-tax contributions, what do I do? Do I keep it in the plan? Do I roll it out? If I take distributions, how do I calculate all this stuff? Good news is, is that I think if if you have that hodgepodge in your 401k plan, that is really good news. Because you could separate all that stuff very, very easily once you separate from service. You could say, you know what? Here, my Roth 401k, I'm gonna roll that into a Roth IRA. A lot of pros there. Because there is a required distribution in a Roth 401k, there is no required distribution for a Roth IRA. Those after-tax contributions, guess what? Boom, roll those right into your Roth IRA. And then now the growth of that after-tax stays in the 401k, plus your other pre-tax. You take those dollars out, it's going to be taxed at ordinary income. But you roll that into an IRA, that's tax-free until you pull the money out. Now you can separate all this stuff and consolidate the certain tax buckets, and then you have a lot more control of how much taxation that you want to hit on your tax return versus using the pro rata rules that the IRS has given us. All right. Well, that that was a mouthful. (laughs) That's tricky stuff, man. (laughs) Okay. All righty. Hey, um, hopefully you enjoyed the show. That's it for us today Uh, for Big Al Clopline. I'm Joe Anderson. We'll see you again next week. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth.
1: So, to recap today's show, the earlier you save and the more you save, the better your chance of having a million dollars or more when you retire. You should consider the possibility that you won't be able to work as long as you want to. You should also carefully weigh all the factors involved when deciding whether to make a large withdrawal from your retirement account. Pro rata and aggregation are different, but related. And right about now, hiring a professional to help you with all this stuff sounds like a really good idea. Special thanks to Tom Anderson, author of The Value of Debt in Building. Wealth for explaining the types of debt, the four phases of life, launch, independence, freedom, and equilibrium, and how much debt you should have during those phases. It's all about balance and the golden ratio. Subscribe to the podcast at YourMoneyYourWealth.com through your favorite podcatcher or on iTunes, where you can also check out our ratings and reviews. And remember, this show is about you. If there's something you'd like to hear on Your Money, Your Wealth, just email info at purefinancial.com. Listen next week for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial. Financial advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Your money, your wealth. Opening song, Motown gold by Carl James Pestka is licensed under a Creative. Commons license.